From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. What goes through surgeons' minds when they encounter something unexpected in the OR? My guest today is Dr. Carol Ann Moulton. She's an associate professor in general surgery at the University of Toronto. In early 2010, Dr. Moulton became a scientist at the University of Toronto Donald R. Wilson Center for Research in Education. Her research interests include the psychosociological considerations of surgical judgment and surgeon error. We had a fascinating conversation about that particular moment, familiar to all of us in surgery, when things aren't going well in the OR and you're not quite sure what to do next. Enjoy. Dr. Moulton, welcome to the surgery set. Thank you so much for for making the trip from Canada to talk to us today. Thank you. I absolutely love the talk that you gave. I think that the work that you're doing is so interesting in the way that it looks at what I sort of think of as your work looks at a freeze frame almost of of that moment in the operating room that we all kind of don't like to talk about in surgery, right? We in surgery think of ourselves as or think we're supposed to present ourselves as sort of all-knowing, all-capable beings. Mm-hmm. As I've practiced surgery now for a few years, like I, I know that like routinely you will find yourself in the operating room in a moment where you don't know exactly what's going on, you don't know how to fix a problem that you found yourself in, and you think, oh my God, I'm the only surgeon in history to not know what I'm doing. And your work focuses on that moment, on that freeze frame second of the surgeons thinking like, oh, mm-hmm. this is not good. Tell us how you sort of found your way into that space. And then I, I, I want to talk about, about what you've discovered. I mean, I've thought about why am I interested in all of this? And when I'm talking about it, there's not a lot of other people talking about it. So how did I get into this? My upbringing had something to do with it. So my parents were counselors and um, ministers, and they always left books around that I read on psychology and understand. I think I had an awareness of that there's an inner being and that there's an inner self. And then when I was training and operating with surgeons, I was often interested. I liked them as people. I was interested in their discomfort that I could kind of palpate that they wouldn't show me kind of explicitly or that they would try to cover up. But I was interested in how they were actually feeling rather than how they were showing themselves to feel. And you sort Um, of had recognized a discordance. yeah, Yeah, I did. And I recognized sometimes it had an effect on patient's safety, which bothered me. You know, I remember one particular instance where a surgeon felt uncomfortable in the pelvis kind of as he was doing grubbing out a tumor and it wasn't his specialty, and he probably should have called for help. He rationalized it by saying there were liver mets anyway, you know, so it doesn't really matter what the outcome is. But I could see that he was feeling uncomfortable. He had beads of sweat on his forehead, you know, and I knew him enough to recognize that he was uncomfortable. But for me, why he couldn't call for help was a little bit interesting. And, you know, so I've I've explored that. And then as a surgeon myself, feeling those things, I feel the same things. Having said that, I didn't go into this line of research looking at that. I went in probably as we all would think of judgment as a kind of a cleaner cognitive construct. So I went in thinking about how do we make decisions 
I had no idea where the research program would take me, but talking to surgeons and using the methodology of talking and observing, it then also became very clear to me that if you just focus it on as on judgment as a cognitive construct, you miss the other things that influence judgment. And so I've been very interested in looking, kind of peeking behind the curtain, as we call it, and saying, you know, what are these other things that we don't talk about, which has led to, you know, many years of studying culture and more recently stress in surgery. And so that has given me a window into looking at the inner part of a surgeon and and starting to appreciate that we are all humans, that we train to do a particular thing, which becomes very focused on technical skills and and we kind of clean it up. We, we detach emotion from cognition. We, we kind of train that way. Don't let emotion get involved. And, and I think sometimes that's, you know, what we have to do. But it doesn't mean emotion goes away. It just means that we have been, you know, often we haven't been taught what to do with that emotion or our feelings. Or your work really reminds me of Forgive and Remember. Right, that sort of classic text, and I went to the University of Chicago for medical school. So for us, it was like that's where you know Charlie Bosk did the work, and so we yeah. all read that and talked yeah. about it all the time. And for those who don't know it, it's a sort of seminal sociological work on on surgeons and how surgeons deal with error and sort of breaks down errors that we make into normative errors, which are you know errors in sort of culture of surgery, right? Being neglectful of a patient, lying, mm-hmm. um, and technical errors, which is just you know like you just did something technically wrong, but there's nothing wrong with you as a person. Mm-hmm. But your work seems to take that sort of notion much deeper, right? It's not just sort of categorizing the types of errors we make or how we make errors, but it's it's really looking at sort of how we perceive ourselves yeah. and how others perceive us and how that affects what we do. I think I'm, I was frustrated by classifications of things like error that yeah. look at things retrospectively. A lot of the work that I did and do is on judgment, and so the ultimate aim is to make us safer and make us better surgeons. But I was interested in how we might change things in the moment. Donald Schoen has a theory of reflective practice. So if we talk about the reflective practitioner, he observed doctors and other professionals in their workplace, often in a in a training environment. And he basically wanted to categorize the way they think. And he categorized it into three main kind of groups. One is reflection in action. Actually, the first one was knowing in action, which is basically what we do in routine day, day-to-day practice that we don't really even have to think about. We've automated it. Uh, we know the answer to these things. We see like a patient with appendicitis and the whole history and the examination findings is appendicitis. We don't really have to think about it, you know, book them for the OR. But he also had this other grouping of reflection in action, and these were like kind of a improvising or there's a problem and we are talking about it and reflecting about it. And what we do in that moment impacts the outcome because the decisions that we make in those reflections in action can impact the patient, if you like, or whatever's happening in that moment. And then he had another grouping of reflection on action. And that is when you leave the operating room in our situation and we talk about what we could have done differently or what was that thing anyway. Uh, or what was that anatomy like, or we talk to a colleague, we look something up. That has no effect on the patient now. Like, you've already left the operating room. It is what it is. You might use it to add to your 
knowing in action. So you mm -hmm. become, you know, it's like a cycle of expertise, right? It's like right? what you You're building on you learn expertise. for next time. Yeah. yeah. But I was very interested in staying. I think the, the whole idea of slowing down when you should is that transition from knowing in action to reflection in action. And then, you know, back and forth. And I see us as professionals as kind of shifting back and forth between knowing in action and reflection in action. And we also do the reflection on action. But performance in the moment relies on the ability to reflect in the moment mm -hmm. and make the right decisions. So I'm always interested in providing a framework or an understanding for how do we do that better, not just a classification of something that we did and I could say this error is that or that or that. I think those things are useful for different reasons, maybe putting systems, things in place to to catch errors before they happen. But I think the retrospective analysis is, has not been as interesting to me personally. Yeah. Uh, your work made me think so much about solitude on many different levels, right? I, I think we as surgeons think of ourselves as being completely different from every other profession, but every other specialty in medicine. And the reality is actually there's probably many lessons that we can learn by considering ourselves yet another type of skilled professional and lots of skilled professions have been studied, right? Mm -hmm. And then at another level, it's I'm the attending surgeon in the operating room. I'm the captain of the ship. I am by myself. I can't show weakness. I can't slow down because it's an expression of failure or ineptitude. I can't call for help for the same reasons, you know, I need to be alone in mm -hmm. this journey. One major lesson that, that I took away from what I heard from you is that it's not right to think of ourselves as, mm -hmm. as individual solo practitioners. Mm -hmm. Well, you can, but I think it's a very lonely journey. Yeah. Part of wellness these days is because of that, that we all navigate or we're left to navigate things individually when we should be looking at things and issues collectively mm -hmm. uh, because it's a common experience if we'd actually just talk about it. And I don't think we're any different than like a policeman who has to get out of his car and walk up to another car in the middle of the night who I'm sure, you know, these police officers are fearful, but they have to portray, you know, no fear. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't like talking about fear in there, you know, amongst themselves. So I think we can learn it's a human experience. A lot of what we do is a human experience. And there's certainly the technical component to it. And we want to be as good as we can be with that. The irony, though, is as I study kind of expertise and expert judgment, I start appreciating that the culture actually stops us from becoming expert. Mm -hmm. It's ironic because our need to portray being an expert is actually stopping us from being an expert. Right. You know, it's come, it goes to the coaching stuff that you guys are with Caprice Greenberg. You know, her work is very critical for a lot of this. The idea that, you know, you don't really want to coach in your OR because of what it looks like, but we recognize we need coaching. And we all get to a point in our career where we, we feel like we've stagnated and we'd like to kind of move up to the different level, but how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And yes, you can take the coaching out of the OR, which actually suits the culture right now, but wouldn't it be great to be able to have a coach in the OR? You know, just like a tennis player would. Trying to understand, I think, how being that individual and feeling like you have to portray that kind of individual expertise versus just being one of many. I think being one of many frees us up, actually. But then we have to stay accountable there's a balance between striving for perfection, being accountable as an individual surgeon, but also being able to kind of release ourselves of that when we 
want to or need to right is interesting like it comes along with the whole teamwork thing recently yeah and you talk a bit about m&m like our morbidity and mortality conferences and how you know this is supposed to be an environment in which we come and present our you know complications and we can benefit from the group knowledge and learn from one another's mistakes and not have to you know mm-hmm. reinvent the wheel for ourselves every single time but but those rooms are filled with complex relationships, right? Hierarchies and face saving and ego, you know, types of errors that can be avowed and types mm-hmm. of errors that can mm-hmm. not be avowed. What's your roadmap for for how we improve the culture of surgery? Or is it as simple as we just have to sort of look it in the face and say that we, we know from research that this is a problem. We need to just take that into account. Mm-hmm. I think... The cultures definitely will change, and I think the culture is changing, and I think what we can do is maybe, like I often say, well, if the culture is changing, why am I doing all this work anyway? It's just going to change, and the next generation will be different, and and I think, you know, the way I get around that is to feel like we can have some influence on the direction that the culture changes. Yeah, I mean, the M&M is an interesting one. I, I think we should probably blow up the whole process. I think they, there's still value in teaching, so we should make it a teaching session, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't pretend that we're discussing errors kind of on a, as a, heart, a heart-to-heart discussion on what the errors are. I think the forum of having you know, so many people in a room where you have, like you say, the complex relationships and hierarchies, power dynamics, you have students who are presenting who have to be kind of honorable to the staff. They can't kind of throw the staff under the bus on decisions that are made. They are also in a dual identity role, so they are learner and surgeon, and they struggle with kind of where do they fit in that. They want to learn, but they also have to portray themselves as good surgeons because they're being assessed by us. You know, there's a lot of complex things that are going on. I, I don't think they need to be removed, but I think we actually need to call them what they are. It's a great time to talk about them and to learn, so it's a teaching session. But we do have to have a forum I believe, to actually improve what we do where we have one or two people that we get together and talk about and we start becoming vulnerable with and we start opening up some of the conversations of like some of the work that I've done and behind the curtain, you know, having discussions about the avowed and the unavowed and the disavowed. You know, we have to understand that we can't expect somebody to come up and say, "I, I made that decision because I didn't feel like I could call for help. I worried about my ego or I cared about my pocket. We do have to normalize that those things are actually there, you know? And in your work, you've actually, you have surgeons who have said these things to you, who have have opened up to you. What's your trick? How do we globalize your skill at getting people to talk about the reality of what it is to practice surgery into a, a broader context? I don't know if I have a unique skill. I think my experience was that there there obviously are some strategies um sometimes i would offer a story of my my own to mm-hmm. to make them feel that you know i made myself vulnerable and they were now able to if they wanted to make themselves vulnerable i think that just the nature of talking about this stuff is so freeing that you know many surgeons when i went to interview them they would look at their wrist and they'd say i only have like 15 minutes mm-hmm. you know is that okay and i say okay that's fine and then after like an hour and a half, <laughs> I'm right. like, can I go now? Yeah. And often they would say, I can't believe I've never talked about this before. Right. You know, one surgeon talked about this, you know, very dramatic error that he, that he made in a assistant who's a very popular assistant in the hospital. 
that he worked in, and he was doing a Whipple, and, you know, things went wrong. She ended up getting a portal vein thrombosis that night, and, you know, he had to have emergency or come go back and do emergency surgery. And he just remembers so many details about that, even though it was like 20 or 25 years ago, mm. early in his career. He remembers the weather. He remembers, you know, that he went home the feel of the kind of streets were that he remembers people talking and saying how can you be talking and having fun in this moment you know that kind of comparison and then going home and and just going straight up to his bathroom and sitting on the floor and crying Mm. but he never told anybody about that not even his wife until we were in that interview 25 years later yeah, so it was very I, freeing to start talking about it. And then I think... And to was, talk to another surgeon, someone who's, like, been yeah. in that same space. And I think... I, mean. I actually think that all of us need therapy. Yeah. Like, I, I've met a lot of unhealthy surgeons, you know, over the last decade or more. And I think it's the nature of our work. Of course, we're, look what we're dealing with. Look what we're doing. We're putting people in these positions and not even focusing or fostering health from, you know, a lot of these other issues that we that we have. Like, we... We do amazing things, but sometimes they don't go well. And so I think having therapy sessions to keep us grounded and to keep us healthy is probably critical. If you ask me this whole push for wellness, what we need is more of that. Like we need one-on-one therapy with somebody who gets it. Right. We don't need to be taught to be more resilient, right? We need to be taught to manage something that is inherently... Yeah difficult yeah. and that, that no amount of, you know, quote unquote resilience. Well, we're will, all resilient. Sort of, we generally yeah, right? are all resilient. Yeah. We've been trained for it and we've been selected a lot of the times for it. Um, so I don't think resilience is the issue. I think it's, uh, it is the culture, you mm-hmm. know, being more forgiving or being more, um, kind of human. Right. And then part of that is, you know, until the culture changes, then what, right? Cause the culture will change what we know that culture changes. It takes a long time. Yeah. Um, so until it changes, we need to, uh, and even then, I think when it changes, we still need to think of ourselves as individuals, and we still are negotiating things within ourselves. And I think it still is important to have a forum to talk. Anyone who's done therapy right. on any level, I think, starts to understand, yeah, it's actually cool to have an hour just to talk about me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually a luxury, and it's kind of cool to have... Uh, a session with somebody who's kind of trained in exploring you. Yeah. So uh, I do think that that is something that we should all kind of invest in. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for your talk and and for sort of shining a light on something that I think we all know is there and and have been reluctant as a culture to to take a good hard look at. I think it's this incredible, fascinating work, and I I look forward to its changing the trajectory of of our profession. Well, thank you. In our next episode, we talk about how academic medicine and business need to work together to innovate. My guest is Thomas Rock Mackey, a UW-Madison professor emeritus of medical physics and engineering physics. We talk about his work as an entrepreneur in the private sector and his return to the university to bridge the gap between entrepreneurs and academic medicine. Tune in, and thanks for listening. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. 
I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. Oh, <laughs> oh,